0: Well, good evening. I Hope that y'all are doing well. It is a joy to be here with you, a privilege to be here with you for our Good Friday service. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. In the event that you just got here, we're gonna find ourselves in Romans chapter five, verses six through 11, what Christina just read. And while you open or load your Bible, I got a couple of quick uh, things for you before we dig into our time. The first one is uh, we love God's Word. We love to preach from God's Word. Therefore, we love to gift God's Word. And so, if you don't have a Bible, if you need a Bible, let us hook you up. That is our gift to you. Uh, But more so than that, we'd love to hang out with you, even if it's after this service. Don't care. We'll hang out. We'd love to connect. We'd love to pray for you. So fill out a connect card uh, or come visit me after service. And uh, once more, we'd love to hang. Well, let's dig into our time by rewinding the clocks to 1993. Text messaging wasn't a thing, it didn't exist. The internet is super expensive, if you even knew what that was at that time. Beepers were cool, grunge music was in, and the musical group Hadaway had just released their poetic song, one that asks the same question that many still ask today, and that is, what is love? With true 90s passion, fluorescent colors, and sincerity, the song goes, no, I don't know why you're not fair. I give you my love, but you don't care. So what is right and what is wrong? Give me a sign. What is love? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) Don't hurt me. Wait for it. No more. If you were jamming out to Hadaway because you didn't have a good taste in music, or you simply fell in love with them because you watched SNL through Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan, the question they're asking is one that has been asked for centuries, and in so many ways, even today, we still get it wrong. In our text this morning, or this evening, used to the Sunday gathering. In our text this evening, the Apostle Paul provides us with what love is and what love looks like through the work of Christ on the cross. Good Friday is a day where Christians all around the world gather to commemorate and celebrate the beauty and work of Jesus on the cross for sinners and sufferers like you and me. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 is going to unpack what the love of God poured out for sinners looks like. We're going to work through verses 6 through 11 in three categories. We're going to look at the outpouring of God's love, the outcome of God's love, and finally, our response to God's love. In our time, I want you to walk away with one fundamental truth. And that is, at the cross, Jesus accomplished deliverance and reconciliation for sinners and sufferers. At the cross, Jesus ultimately, completely absolutely deals with the issue of sin. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into our time. Father, we begin by adoring you and thanking you for uh, allowing us to gather tonight, Uh, certainly for the purposes of Good Friday, but most importantly, to bring you glory. And so, God, as we sung loudly and now as we drink deeply from your word, may it be sweeter than the taste of honey for us. To those who know Jesus, may the depths of your love grow in them. For those who do not know Jesus, Lord, my prayer is that they would come and know him tonight. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Well, the book of Romans is a phenomenal book where the Apostle Paul's entire goal, his argument, is to bring forth this one thing, and that is, we are all sinners. This issue is universal, and though it may look differently in the life of many people, you may not like that word, you may push back on that word, but at the basic foundation of our frailty, is this one universal truth and that is that we are all sinners. And by God's grace, Paul tells us that God in Christ doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us as sinners, rather He provides a way for us to be redeemed, a way for us to be saved. And in the verse before our text, we're looking at verses 6 through 11. But briefly looking at verse 5, here's what Paul writes. Paul says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's verse 5. As a result of that, what Paul is doing in this section is expanding on what it actually looks like. What and how does God's uh, outpouring of His love actually look like, and that brings us to to the first part of our section, to the outpouring of God's love, which is verses six through eight. And so we're gonna get a little bit nerdy, but let's let's reread verses six through eight just so that we're all on the same page. Paul writes, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even One would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul begins this section with the word for, F-O-R, and we're going to see this word come out several times in this little section. This word means that Paul is transitioning from one thought to another, or in this case, he's going to provide us with a reason for what he has just said. And so once more in verse 5, he says that God has poured out his love. And so when he begins verse 6 by saying "for," he's saying, I'm about to tell you how he has poured out his love, okay? And that's ultimately the question he's answering, Paul goes on to tell you and I that God's love was poured out in the death of His Son on behalf of those, and he uses really stark language, on behalf of those who were weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies of God. That's really, really heavy language. In verse 8, he says something similar. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. There's there's a few things to note in Paul's language. The first thing is, when he uses the word we, he's specifically talking about Christians. He is specifically writing to the Christians in Rome. And through the Holy Spirit, he is speaking directly to us. And so I want to look at these four heavy-hitting words. weak ungodly sinners enemies you might say Man, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable that's actually the point he, he's he's emphasizing by using different words for kind of the same thing so he says first that we were weak this isn't a physical weakness but this is impotence this is that we are absolutely completely helpless that we are unable to save ourselves, that if God sent his son to deal with the issue and problem of sin, you and I are incapable of saving ourselves and actually dealing with that issue. He says that we were ungodly. That is that at one point we were irreverent, that it's not just a matter of our actions, that we don't always do the right thing, but it's a matter of our heart, that our heart was hardened. Our heart was made of stone. We did not fear God. In fact, we rejected God. At the opening of this letter, Paul goes on to say that as God has made Himself known, you and I have actually rejected Him. He says that we were sinners. That is, we were sinners by nature and choice, that at the core of who we were, down to our bones, our hearts were filled with wickedness. That we desired not simply to walk in disobedience, but in rebellion to God. And finally, I think it's in verse 10 where he says, We were enemies of God. Think about that. We were enemies. We weren't friends with God. We were at war with God. There was hatred. There was enmity. There was division. There was distortion between us and God. This is who we were outside of Jesus, outside of God's grace. To the Colossians, Paul says that we were once alienated from God. And so as Paul begins to unpack his argument on how God's love was poured out, he first begins with who we were. He first begins with who we were, and then he moves into the time that Jesus died, right? So once more, going back to verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died. Now, when he's talking about time, he's not talking about time on a clock, like, man, Jesus was going to die Friday at 11.35 a.m. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It was at this moment in history, at this window, in this opportunity, God had orchestrated Jesus to die, to send Jesus into human history. At the right time, God died for the ungodly, it's important for us to, to understand the gravity of who we were, because it, it only amplifies and deepens, or at least it should amplify and deepen our understanding of God's love for us. And in verse seven, as we transition, as in verse seven, Paul makes this clear distinction of God's love for humanity by providing kind of an argument. So let's look once more. I'm not gonna reread all the verses, but definitely let's look at verse seven. Paul says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, on occasion, you could argue, right? So he's writing to those in Rome, he's writing to us. So he says, on occasion, you can make an argument that a good person will die for another one. A good person, an outstanding citizen, someone who is good and moral and upright, you can make that case. You can make the case that a good person could die. But Paul is saying there's a problem with that argument. In fact, there's a twofold problem with that argument. On one hand, one can die for a loved one because of reciprocated affection. In other words, I can tell you I will die for my wife in a heartbeat. But in our relationship, we have grown in our relationship. She has reciprocated love to me, so my love has grown for her as her love grows for me, and so on and so forth. It just continues to increase. And so Paul is saying, well, you're dying because you've received something. There's actually been something that's been developed. That's not what I'm talking about. Paul says, on the other hand, on the other hand, one could die for someone, an upright person, a good person, a moral person, one could die because of obligation. So an example here would be, for, uh, for instance, the Secret Service. The Secret Service will, will take a bullet for the President of the United States because that's their job. So, dying out of obli- they would die out of obligation. And so in verse 8, Paul elaborates on how God's love is distinct from everything else, on how God's love is distinct from every kind of human example that you and I can think of. He goes on to say that God shows His love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we slow it down just a bit, when Paul uses the word shows, It means to publicly demonstrate that God died in Jesus in a public way, hung on a cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, for everyone to see. The other thing I want you to know about that little word is that it's written in the present tense. It didn't say God showed. It says God shows. He didn't say God demonstrate. He says God demonstrates. It's written in the present tense. It is a present reality and promise for you and I of something that previously happened. And then Paul adds, while we were still sinners. The key word there is the word still. That is also written in the present tense. Making the death of Jesus a reality for you and I Today. So what's the, how, do, how is God's love distinct? Jesus died on a cross for people like you and I in spite of our sin. In other words, there was no obligation. There was no reciprocation. We were enemies to God. There was no obligation because we hated God. There was nothing but a love from God for sinners and sufferers. At the cross, God pours out His love through the death of His Son for sinners and sufferers like you and me. Well, As a result of God's outpouring through Jesus, we come to the place where we learn of the outcome. This is verses 9 through 10. In other words, we answer the question, well, Okay, this is how God poured out his love, but what does Jesus actually accomplish on the cross? In verses nine through 10, we're going to look at several benefits of Jesus's work for us. We're gonna look at four to be specific. And so we'll walk through these. This is beginning in verse nine. Here's what Paul says. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. The first thing that Paul tells us is that we have been justified by the blood of Jesus. Now, if you're new to Storehouse, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to some of this lingo, let's let's break it down a little bit. Just like every subculture has its own set of words, so does Christianity. And so Paul begins with this word justified, that we have been justified by his blood. The word justified, is, it's a legal term. It's a legal term meaning that through Jesus' death, we have been counted as not guilty. We have been acquitted of all our charges. Our standing before God as unrighteous has now changed. It has changed because of what Jesus has done. So when he adds the little phrase, by his blood, the Bible teaches that apart from God, you and I are enslaved to our sin. And in order to be freed from our slavery, we need to be redeemed, we need to be bought out of our slavery to our sin. And in this case, the currency used to purchase our redemption was the blood of Jesus. As a result, being justified by His blood means that the charges have been dropped. Your status has been changed. You have been redeemed. At one point, you were guilty. Now you're not guilty. At one point you were unrighteous. Now you are righteous before God. At one point you were not in right standing with Him. Now you are in right standing with Him because of Jesus' work on your behalf. At one point you were at war. Now you are friends with God. At one point you were lost, but now you have been found. At one point you were orphaned, But now you are sons and daughters because of what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. The second thing that Paul says is that we are delivered. And you see it in verse 9 in that word saved. Saved. So he continues, he says, since we've been justified, in other words, since our status has now changed, how much more will we be delivered? How much more will will we be saved specifically from the wrath of God? Here, Paul is specific in telling us What we have been saved from. You know, the thing that not a lot of people like to talk about. Paul is saying through Jesus, we have been saved from the wrath of God. That is eternal separation, punishment, hell. That is what we have been saved from because Jesus has borne all of the Father's wrath on our behalf. The grace of God at the cross has bore the wrath of God on our behalf. And just as much as Paul hits us with those four words, right, weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies, here he hits us with these four benefits that overshadow those previous words. The third one is that we are reconciled every benefit that Paul continues to describe is a better and deeper breath of fresh air. And so as a result of being justified, as a result of being delivered, we are now reconciled. That means that at the cross, Jesus restores us not only into right standing with God or before God, but restores us to a right relationship with God. You see, the grace of God has not only conquered or taken on the wrath of God, but the grace of God has folded us into the family of God. So once more, you are no longer an orphan but a son or a daughter. The fourth one is that we are secured. This is verse 10. Paul says, For if while we were enemies, We were reconciled to God by the death of His son much more. So he uses that language a few times in this text to kind of add emphasis, to kind of keep going like, man, God's not done and he has delivered you. You think he's done. There's more. He has reconciled you. There is more. He keeps building on each one of these identities. And so in verse 10, he goes on to say, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It sounds as Paul is repeating himself, but the word saved here in verse 10 is a little different. The word saved here is is kept. It means that we are kept. That in light of all that God has done for us, that God has justified us, that He has delivered us, that He has reconciled us, how much more in light of all of that work that God has done for you, how much more will He keep you how much more will he continue the work that he begun in you? It's assurance that you are kept by God. To the Philippian church, Paul says it this way, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. These, these blessings, these benefits, it's not just a one-time thing. Some of them might have been a, a momentary occasion, but they build on one another. You are kept. And because you are kept, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you continues to be at work through you. So much like the, the four heavy-hitting words that, that describes who we were outside of Christ, Paul provides much more heavy-hitting blessings and benefits of who we are in Christ right now. In these identities, we walk in newness. We walk in forgiveness. So as a result, let me say this. If you expect God to forgive you or to bestow grace upon you, but you are unwilling to forgive and to extend the same grace that has been shown to you, then you have yet to know the depths of God's love, Christian. The outcome of God's love for sinners and sufferers is that we are now saints and singers and so we come to verse 11 our response that is in light of what jesus has done for us where does it lead us why do we celebrate and observe holy week and particularly good friday and leading into easter sunday let's look at verse 11 paul says more than that, so again, he's building. It's that language of he's just going to keep building on these benefits. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. So if the question is, man, what would be our response to these benefits? What, are, what is our response to the work of God for us? Paul says it's this one thing, and he says that we rejoice that we rejoice in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That when Jesus cried, it is finished on the cross, he meant that the work by which we are reconciled, brought into a relationship, the work by which we are reconciled to God has been accomplished and has been made complete by him. We rejoice because though at one point we were enemies and sinners and ungodly, God took action in saving us by sending His Son, Jesus, to address and conquer the problem with sin. While we were still at war with God, Jesus died in our place and for our sin, bringing us the gift of reconciliation that we have received, not achieved. That is why we rejoice. We rejoice because in this glorious work, though Christ died and was buried, three days later, God raised Him from the dead and He appeared to more than 500 people over the course of 40 days. And then He ascended into heaven and right now, as you and I gather here at the winery, right now He is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning in all of His glory and one day He will come again to claim His bride, the church. This is why we rejoice on Good Friday. And so as we begin to close... While we were still struggling to find the answer to the question through terrible music from Hadaway, God provided and demonstrated the answer to what is love by sending His Son to deliver and reconcile sinners and sufferers to Himself. This is the beauty of the truth of the Gospel for Christians. So Christian, let me ask you, is this something that you have forgotten? Is this something that upon hearing these benefits, you become dull or hardened? Where is your heart specifically toward the Lord regarding these benefits that you have received? Man, if you are walking in them, praise be to God. If you find yourself in a season where you're struggling to embrace these gifts, to be reminded of these benefits, and let, let me let me invite you to come before the Lord. Perhaps, perhaps it is repentance that is required of you. Perhaps. It's not about what you need to do. It is just you needing to be reminded of who you are. That you have been justified. That you have been delivered. That you have been reconciled. That you are secure. I can't think of the amount of individuals from our church that I've met with And when we talk about stuff like that, it's like, well, I just need to do these things. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to sit and receive God's grace tonight. Maybe maybe coming before the Lord in confession and repentance is it. That's as far as it goes for you right now. These promises, these benefits are yours because of Jesus. Jesus. And for those who don't believe, for those of you who don't know Jesus, as thankful as I am that you're here, as much as I love the fact that you're here, you are outside of those benefits. You are enslaved to your sin. You are an enemy of God. And the wrath of God is still over you. But, there is a way for you to be pardoned, renewed, delivered, reconciled. And that is through faith and repentance in Jesus. Say it one more time. Faith and repentance in Jesus. Not faith and repentance in doing good. Not faith and repentance in a pope. Not faith and repentance in a pastor. Not faith and repentance in anyone else other than Jesus. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian isn't simply belief. It is repentance. So today, repent and trust in the Lord Jesus church as we are about to go back to singing praises let me remind you on the cross Jesus accomplished deliverance and reconciliation for sinners and sufferers like you and me let's pray God, as we read through Romans 5, uh, it is quite convicting because we're we're exposed. To a degree, we are reminded of who we were, and at the same time, our hearts are exposed because the truth is sometimes we still want to be who we were. We want to rebel against you But by your grace, you have kept us and secured us. And so tonight, may we see confession as a gift of your grace. Where we come to realize that your grace is our only hope. It's our only option. And so, Lord, my prayer is that we would come before you, humble, that we would come before you with exposed hearts, but that we would also be reminded that the reason we're able to come before you is because of your grace. So may we not dismiss it. God, we confess our sin to you. We confess the sins that everyone knows about. We confess the sins that we think we're a broken record over. Lord, we also confess the sins that no one knows about, the ones that we don't want to confess because in reality we have become okay with them. May we lay that at your feet. May a text like Romans 5 remind us that you have loved us in spite of who we were. Therefore, there is no reason, there is no reason to keep things from you. And it's not simply because you know the depths of our hearts anyway, but it is because you loved us in Christ. And so God, as we confess our sin, may we confess that Jesus is Lord. May we put to death sin and idolatry. May we put to death lies and temptations. And may our hearts cry and confess that Jesus is Lord. And so as we prepare to sing praises to your name, may we sing them loudly, but may we sing them as a new creation that has been covered, saved, sustained, and secured by your grace. May the cry of our hearts and the meditation of our lips be pleasing to you tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.